You are listening to the Through the Bible Studio Series with Pastor Nate Holdridge. Join us as we continue our study through the New Testament book of Revelation. Here's Nate. Well, the book of Revelation, as I've said before, is the only book of the Bible that comes prepackaged with its own divine outline. In Revelation chapter 1, verse 19, Jesus, speaking to John, our author, tells him to write the things which he had seen. And of course, that would include all of the events of Revelation chapter 1, specifically the vision that he received of the divine, exalted, glorified Jesus Christ. He sees him with his hair white like wool and white as snow, his eyes of fire, a sword protruding from his mouth, his garment, his cloak going down to his feet, his chest girded about with a golden band, his feet like fine bronze, his voice like the sound of many mighty rushing waters. And so John writes down in chapter one, the things that he had seen. Secondly, Jesus said in chapter one, verse 19, to write the things which were, the things which are, write the things which are. And of course, in the time of John, the things which were, were the events of Revelation chapter two and three. For Jesus would write seven letters to the seven churches of Asia Minor. And each one of those seven churches during the time of John were actual, physical, literal churches. And so John understood that the things which are, are the things which he had been able to see and to know of in those seven churches in Asia Minor. And then Jesus said, and also write the things which will take place after this. And when you get to chapter 4, verse 1, the phrase after this is repeated twice to indicate to us that we have now entered into the third section of the book of Revelation. And of course, the fourth chapter is absolutely glorious. John is called up into heaven. I believe a beautiful picture of God calling up his church, his bride, before the era, the time of the great tribulation to be in his presence. And he sees the throne room of God. He sees the throne. That's the key in chapter 4. The focal point is the actual throne. He sees the glory of God emanating from the throne. He sees the angels flying around the throne and singing holy, holy, holy to God. And then he sees the 24 elders seated around the throne on their 24 lesser thrones. And when the angels sing, the elders get up from their thrones and take the crowns off of their heads and cast them down on the glassy sea before God and worship his name. Then in chapter 5, John becomes fixated upon a scroll that is in the right hand of him who is seated upon the throne. The scroll has seven seals. Uh, the contents are unknown. And a question is asked in heaven, who is worthy to open the scroll and to loose its seals? And John begins to weep because no one was found worthy. But then one of the elders approaches him and encourages him and says, John, don't weep. 
For there is one who is worthy. It's the lion of the tribe of Judah. And when John looked, he saw Jesus as the lamb who had been slain. And so the lion of the tribe of Judah is also synonymously and simultaneously the the lamb who had been slain. And he takes the scroll for he is found worthy. And in chapter 6, he begins, Jesus does, to open up the scroll and to loose its seals. In chapter 6, we see the first six seals loosened by Jesus. In seal chapter 1, this worldwide ruler, the Antichrist, the man of sin, seems to be revealed. In seal number 2, Uh, His military might increases and worldwide war ensues. In the third seal, the economy absolutely collapses and uh, people have a difficult time providing for their families even enough to eat. In the fourth seal, many people die as a result of the war and the catastrophe and the economy. And then in the fifth seal, we pause for a moment as the martyrs, those who have lost their lives for the cause of Christ and belief in his name, for the word of God and for their testimony. They cry out to God and they say, God, how long until you avenge our blood? How long until you accomplish this feat? The Lord ministers to them. They are told to rest a little longer. And then the sixth seal is opened. And in the sixth seal, the earth begins to be touched. The sun is darkened. The moon becomes like blood. There's a great earthquake. Earthquake. There are cataclysmic events that take place upon the earth. And so the first six seals, the world will be a very dark place during this time. And I believe these first six seals will be opened sometime near the beginning of the great tribulation, the beginning of that final seven years, the time of Jacob's trouble. In chapter seven, we take a little bre- a little breather and we get to see a wonderful moment. And the wonderful moment there in chapter seven is that there are 144,000 Jewish, what appear to be super witnesses, people who are so effective in preaching the gospel because immediately after these 144,000 Jews are sealed, from 12 tribes, immediately after that, there is a great multitude that is mentioned. And this great multitude, they had given their lives to the Lord. They say salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And so I believe that during this period of time, there will be, on the one hand, great rebellion, but on the other hand, great revival. And then we get to chapter 8, and the seventh seal is opened. And immediately following the opening of the seventh seal, there is silence in heaven for about half an hour. And the reason is rather clear because inside of the seventh seal, there will be seven trumpets. And inside of the seventh trumpet, there will be seven bowls of judgment upon the earth. In other words, great catastrophe is coming as a result of this seventh seal being opened. And so... The first trumpet that is blasted in chapter 8 strikes the vegetation on the earth. The second trumpet strikes the sea. The third trumpet strikes the fresh water supply. The fourth trumpet strikes the heavens and the sky and the solar system. 
And after all of those first four trumpets, an eagle flies in the sky and cries out with a loud voice, Woe, woe, woe to those who dwell on the earth at the blasts of the other three trumpets that the three angels are about to blow. So again, a pause between the fourth and the fifth. The fifth angel then blows his trumpet along with the sixth angel after him, and both of them seem to release upon the earth not just worldwide cataclysmic disaster, but the demonic realm. And the demonic realm seems to operate on earth. Again, I don't know if this happens in a visible or invisible sense. But all I know is that it says in chapter 9, verse 6, that people will long to die, but death will flee from them. Then in chapter 10, we're given a moment of reprieve as the angel appears to John with a scroll in his hand. John is told to eat the scroll, and as he eats it, it becomes sweet in his mouth, but bitter in his stomach. I think symbolic of what the book of Revelation is like to us. In many ways sweet because it is the consummation of all things. In many ways sweet because we get heaven and the tree of life. In many ways sweet because of the coming of Christ and the new heavens and the new earth and the new Jerusalem. But in many ways bitter. Uh, bitter for the pain that will be caused during that time. And so John is told then to prophesy again about many peoples and nations and languages and kings, and that God is going to very soon now fulfill the mystery and consummate all things. Then I was given, chapter 11, verse 1, a measuring rod like a staff. And I was told, rise and measure the temple of God and the altar and those who worship there. But do not measure the cord outside the temple, verse 2. Leave that out, for it is given over to the nations, and they will trample the holy city for 42 months. And so John receives this direction uh, after he's given a measuring rod like a staff. And much like Ezekiel before him, he is told to go and measure the temple of God and the altar, uh, but he's also told not to measure the court outside of the temple. Now, of course, the question here is, what is John being asked to measure? And of course, many people approach this chapter as if there is a um, perhaps a spiritual uh, temple or uh, perhaps this is a past temple or this is a symbolic thing that John is doing. After all, at the time that John wrote the book of Revelation, the temple in Jerusalem had already been destroyed by the Romans. And so, what is it that John is being asked to measure? And it seems to me that John is being asked to literally measure a literal temple. I mean, in this chapter, there are many literal details. Uh, Jerusalem is mentioned, 42 months is mentioned as a duration, 1,260 days are mentioned, three and a half days are mentioned, 7,000 people will die in an earthquake, and there will be two witnesses who uh, proclaim a message and have a ministry on earth. It seems to be a very 
literal chapter or perspective from God. And so I believe that John is measuring an actual literal temple, not a spiritual temple, but an actual physical temple, much like Ezekiel before him, John is being asked to measure a temple that does not yet exist, a future temple. Just as Ezekiel measured what I believe is the future millennial temple, John is being asked to measure a temple that will exist during the time of the Great Tribulation. It says in Daniel chapter 9 verse 27 that the Antichrist will put an end to sacrifice and offering. And in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, it says that he will, in the temple, demand to be worshipped as God. And so, it appears to me at least that moving forward into the future, even though at this present time, there is no temple for the people of Israel, for the Jews in Jerusalem, I believe that on the Temple Mount, a, a temple will be rebuilt and restored for the people of Israel. Uh, you know, David and Solomon uh, built their temple, David acquiring the materials, Solomon actually putting the building together. There was a second temple, of course, that had been rebuilt by the remnant people who returned at the command of King Cyrus in the book of Ezra and was expanded upon by King Herod during and before the time of Christ. But I believe that John is seeing a vision now and being asked to measure a third temple. And really, when you think about it, what better way for the man of sin to establish a worldwide peace treaty and covenant for a period of seven years than to promise the temple and somehow develop a peace treaty that involves all parties where all parties are satisfied. I mean, you think about it, the, the temple being put upon the Temple Mount once again. There are Muslim holy sites there now. And to, to think of, you know, the Dome of the Spirits, the Dome of the Rock, and all of that, and to think of it all existing together with the Jewish temple is absolutely fascinating and seems near impossible. And if there were to be a world ruler who could come on this, to the scene and initiate that kind of reality, well, he would be heralded as probably the greatest leader of all time by many people on earth. And so John is told to go and actually measure this particular temple. But notice in verse 2 that he's told not to measure the court outside the temple, to leave that out, for it is given over to the nations, and they will trample the holy city for 42 months. And uh, so this outside of the temple, he says, don't measure the court. It's given over to the nations or to the, to the Gentiles, which may be an indicator that, yes, indeed, there will be the cohabitation, if you will, of the Temple Mount between Islam and Judaism. And there will be this dual existence that takes place. And so he's told only to measure the temple, but not outside of the temple because that is given over. To the Gentiles. And then he says in verse 3, And I will grant authority to my two witnesses, and they will prophesy for 1,260 days clothed in sackcloth, the garments of mourning. And so for 42 months, or for 1,260 days, which is three and a half years on a 360 day calendar, which would have been in use at the time of John. 
So for three and a half years, these two witnesses will come and prophesy. Two powerful witnesses clothed in sackcloth prophesying there in Jerusalem. Just a powerful ministry that these two characters will have. And the question, of course, number one is, who are these two witnesses who will prophesy? And we'll take a look at that in just a moment. But the second question would be, which three and a half years do these two characters prophesy during? In other words, if the final, you know, time of Jacob's trouble, the 70th week of Daniel, the 70th seven, if that's a seven year period of time, do these two witnesses prophesy at the beginning or at the end? Which three and a half years do they occupy or something right in the middle? And it it appears to me, at least my perspective on it is that I believe that they will operate in the front half of the great tribulation. I think they'll be instrumental in leading the 144,000 Jewish witnesses to Christ. I think that as they preach, I think there in Jerusalem, I think many people, Jews, will give their lives to the Lord as a result. And, uh, you know, the Antichrist later in this chapter will war against them, which I don't think will happen until we get to that three and a half year mark. And he demands to be worshipped as God in the temple of God. And so my best guess, at least, is that they'll prophesy at the beginning of the seven-year period. Now, concerning the question of who they are, the answer is given to us in verse 4. These are the two olive trees and the two lampstands that stand before the Lord of the earth. Now, this comes straight from Zechariah chapter 4. Joshua, not the Joshua who led the people of Israel into the promised land, but Joshua the high priest and Zerubbabel the governor were uh, called to rebuild the temple. And they had a tall order in front of them and days were tough and things were getting hard. And God prophesied to them and gave them a picture of the lampstands in the temple. And of course, the priests would have to go in, and Joshua would be familiar with this as a priest, would have to go in and change out the oil in the lampstand so that the fire continued to perpetually burn before God. But they were given a vision of a lampstand that had pipes connected to it that on the other side were connected to olive trees so that the oil from the olive tree just continually flowed to the lampstand. It was an image where God was sharing with those men that they would be able to rebuild the temple, not by might, nor by power, but by his spirit. And so, you know, the continual supply and the continual flow of God's strength and God's energy and God's spirit in the task at hand for Joshua and Zerubbabel. However, Here we discover that these two witnesses are the two olive trees and they are the two lampstands that stand before the Lord of the earth. What that indicates is that these men are filled with the strength of God, number one, the oil of God's spirit, power from him, the olive tree, but that they also provide great illumination to the world. They are the two lampstands. In other words, uh, they are providing the light of the gospel to the world in which they live in a wonderful, effective, and very powerful way. 
And oh, how we need the strength of God's spirit in order to bring light into this dark world. And if anyone, verse 5, would harm them, fire pours from their mouth and consumes their foes. If anyone would harm them, this is how he is doomed to be killed. They have the power to shut the sky, that no rain may fall during the days of their prophesying, and they have power over the waters to turn them into blood and to strike the earth with every kind of plague as often as they desire. And so uh, when people persecute them, fire comes from them and kills them. Again, I don't know if this is uh, symbolism in the sense of the fire of the judgment of their words or actual literal fire. We will discover this someday. Uh, but uh, during their prophesying, they have the power to hold back the rain and to turn the waters to blood and to usher in every kind of plague as often as they desire. Now, because of these two elements and other reasons, many people believe that these two prophets are none other than Elijah the prophet who never died. And so perhaps he comes back in order to experience death and who held back the rain during the time of his prophesying. And other people believe that the second witness is Moses, who of course turned the water to blood and ushered forth many plagues against the nation of Egypt. And they have all of these elements, the holding back of the rain, the water to blood, and the, the issuing of many plagues. They have all of these elements. And of course, Moses and Elijah, symbolic of the law and the prophets, showed up together on the Mount of Transfiguration to comfort Jesus and minister to him concerning his coming departure. And so for those reasons, and as, as well the reason of Malachi chapter 4, where we are told that Elijah will come before the great and terrible day of the Lord, many people be believe, perhaps rightly, that Moses and Elijah are these two prophets. And after a period of three and a half years of prophesying, it says in verse 7 that when they have finished their testimony, the beast, this is the Antichrist, and we will see this beast fleshed out in chapter 13, the beast that rises from the bottomless pit will make war on them and conquer them and kill them. And their dead bodies will lie in the street of the great city that symbolically is called Sodom in Egypt, where their Lord was crucified. This is a total rebuke of Jerusalem which is compared to Sodom and Egypt here in this text. For three and a half days, some from the peoples and tribes and languages and nations will gaze at their dead bodies and refuse to let them be placed in a tomb. So total disrespect. And those who dwell on the earth will rejoice over them and make merry and exchange presents because these two prophets had been a torment to those who dwell on the earth. Through their words, they are considered a torment and the, there will be worldwide celebration as a result of the death of these men. But notice this. It says, but after three and a half days, a breath of life from God entered them. And they stood up on their feet, and great fear fell on those who saw them. Then they heard a loud voice from heaven saying to them, come up here. And they went up to heaven in a cloud and their enemies watched them. And at that hour, there was a great earthquake, and a tenth of the city fell. Seven thousand people were killed in the earthquake, and the rest were terrified and gave glory 
to the God of heaven. And so you notice here the vindication of these two servants. And after three and a half days of people celebrating their death, God puts the breath of life in them. They are raised from the dead. This, of course, is a stern rebuke to those who persecuted them, those who celebrated, and the one who killed them, the beast, the Antichrist. And they're called up to heaven. Come up here is the word that they hear. Oh, to hear those words. Well done, my good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of the Lord. And I should just mention at this point that God is so faithful to us and all of the pain and suffering and agony that we may experience in serving him here. It'll all be worth it for the glory of that last day, that final day. All will be vindicated. All will be taken care of. And God, the righteous and just judge, will defend his servants. And that's what we see happening here. They come back to God in heaven a great earthquake, 7,000 people die in Jerusalem. It's a powerful moment. He says in verse 14, the second woe has passed. Behold, the third woe is soon to come. Then in verse 15, the seventh angel blew his trumpet. And there were loud voices in heaven saying, The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. And this, of course, is what we have been Praying for, Lord, your kingdom come. Lord, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And there will be a day when the kingdom of the world is synonymous with the kingdom of the Lord and of his Christ. Now, that day is not yet, but it is coming. And the 24 elders, verse 16, who sit on their thrones before God, fell on their faces and worshipped God, saying, We give thanks to you, Lord God Almighty, who is and who was. I love the beginning of this song because they focus their attention on the almighty God and his eternal nature, who is and who was. For you have taken your great power and begun to reign. They are celebrating the fact that he is now taking his power. He is taking his position and he is beginning to reign. Jesus currently is the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Yet he has yet to really take that responsibility here on earth. There is still this character called the prince of the power of the air. But in Revelation, we're seeing the phasing out of his reign and the coming of the reign of Christ. The nations raged, they sing, but your wrath came and the time for the dead to be judged. Notice how they celebrate the judgment. They celebrate the wrath of God. I, I don't think we're going to wonder at it. I think we're going to celebrate God's justice. And for rewarding your servants, the prophets and saints, and those who fear your name, both small and great, and for destroying the destroyers of the earth. God will reward all of his servants, the prophets and the saints, everyone who fears him, both, I love this line, small and great. Then God's temple in heaven was opened, and the ark of his covenant was seen within his temple. There were flashes of lightning, rumblings, peals of thunder, an earthquake, and heavy hail. And so, as we've said before, this is both sweet and bitter. To see the wrath that comes down upon the world, but the sweetness of knowing that the new heavens and the new earth are coming. 
Walk with the Lord, serve the Lord, be his witness and testify of him. A day is coming where you, my friend, will be vindicated just as these two witnesses were written here in scripture. God bless you. Amen. Thank you for listening. For additional resources and teachings or to contact us, please visit us at nateholdridge.com.